Alan Kring Productions, in association with the Emergent Light Studio, presents the Illinois State Collegiate Compendium, Academic Lectures in Business and Economics. This is Business Finance, FIL 240 for Spring Semester 2023. Today, review for the final exam. Uh, as a last attempt to get you aware of screens, this is part of the review, just to make sure that you know some of the basics about screens and uh, other basic facts about stocks and bonds and all of that. We'll look at the numbers one last time, and yes, you'll see something, some things about this on the final exam. We see that, well, let's start out with some basics to make sure that you know these terms and all of that. For one thing, let's start with this. Is this a bull or a bear day, ma'am? Is that all bull? It's bull. It's a bull day. Actually, it is kind of a bull day because not up that much, but it is a positive percentage, green across the board. And as you can see, you have the uh, Dow is up a little bit. The S&P is up more because it's a higher risk portfolio, large companies, but wider and not as big as the Dow 30. And then the NASDAQ is hauling up to almost a half a percent today so far. And uh, <coughs> again, you notice here that, uh, remember that the NASDAQ, the NASDAQ uh, Automated Quotation System, that is an actual market. It is not a physical platform, it's an electronic platform, but that is a market. The Dow 30 and the S&P 500, those are indexes of stocks. The Dow 30 is 30 ginormous companies. The stocks are 30 ginormous. The S&P 500 is 500 big, big companies. Uh, so remember, if you see numbers, it's an index. If you don't see numbers, like NYSE, that's the New York Stock Exchange. That would be a whole exchange. The Amex, the American Stock Exchange, that is a whole exchange. The NASDAQ. But if I see something like the Russell 2000, the Dow 30, the S&P 500, those are index numbers. They represent a comp compilation of stocks. Russell 2000, that's 2,000 stocks. Over here, you can see that the Nikkei 225, that would be an index of 225 big companies' stocks on the Tokyo Exchange. The FTSC 100, that is the Financial Times, 100 big stocks on the London Exchange. Okay, so remember that. Uh, this is review, just to have you remember some of the main points of this, uh, of this semester. Uh, <coughs> coming back over here for a minute, you have to forgive me, I'm sort of recovering from sinus allergy from hell here. Crude, look at that. It has plunged below the floor the 72.79, and it's now down in the 60s, for heaven's sakes. Representing more than anything else, good supply conditions and a lower demand than we would typically have. So you should see, eventually gas prices will reflect a little of this. So that there's that to look forward to. But uh, gold, gold spiking. I mean, the gold, which is kind of weird because you see the equities, the stocks are bullish today, but the gold bugs are out in force. They've pushed it up to $2,037 an ounce. That's a, that's a high price. That's, that's up there where they think that the world economy is going to go to hell and all that kind of stuff. Now, bonds. Bond yields, which is what you see there, that's not a price quote, that's a yield quote. Bond yields are down, which means that bond prices are up. Now that's a little surprising because, well, no it's not. The Fed today is uh, announcing that there will be an interest rate hike. 
Well, that should make bond yields go up and prices go down. But we see bond yields going down. Why would that be? Because the market had already put the expectation of that increase in days ago. So now what they're doing is reacting to other forces. The news that the Fed is going to jack up the rates again is old news. It's already been impounded, as we say, in the prices. So here, yields are falling for other reasons. Prices are going up for other reasons. And God knows what that is right now because equities, money, see, look over here, see, money is flowing to equities, there's buying there. And so here we have money that is flowing into bonds. Bond prices are up, bond yields are down. So heaven knows what's going on there. Now, the euro is appreciating against the dollar, which is interesting because that would tend to indicate that European interest rates are rising faster than domestic interest rates. Value of the euro is going up because the, pri the price of the euro is going up. Okay, and we see the British pound is appreciating against the dollar. And the yen, which is backwards, sure enough, it's appreciating against the dollar. Good grief. I, I, I got nothing on that. But one more, maybe the, I wonder if the markets are thinking that the Fed is not going to raise interest rates when it makes its announcement today. Well, that'd be interesting. Anyway, London kind of sucked. It, it, it was a bullish day, but it, the bulls got paired back early on and it just kind of floated. No big news, so the market just kind of drifts and bounces. The Nikkei, well, it was kind of bouncing around too. It didn't finish up very much either. So uh, the rest of the world is in kind of a who knows mood. We seem to be in kind of a bullish mood right now. But look at that. I, had, I put a side bet on Rivian because they have an earnings call tomorrow. Earnings call means they're going to announce earnings, and then they're going to call the Wall Street dogs and tell them what happened and why it happened. So apparently there is this sentiment, which I had, I had pretty much figured that Rivian was going to have a positive uh, earnings statement. It was going to be favorable, be perhaps even more favorable than we would have expected. And that's why Rivian is going up today. Let's look at the stock just so we can have something else to, nope, that's not gonna work because they don't have a beta. Let's find something that has a beta. Anyone got a stock? Don't say Tesla. <laughs> Anyone got a stock? What? What's the trading symbol? What? Oh, Home Depot, I thought you said Anibo. Okay, I, I am so full of sinus problems right now. <coughs> They could ring the dinner bell, and I'd think it was a tornado alarm and run away, and that's very unusual for me. Okay, here we go. We got a nice, th this is solid stuff. This is good stuff. Now, remember bid and ask. The bid is what you can sell at. The ask is what you can buy at. The bid-ask spread here is only two cents. That's because there's a lot of trading. Uh, well, relatively speaking, I mean, look at how weak volume is the weak uh, in the sense that today, and we're, we're still a ways away from the bell, closing bell, but it's traded only 1.1 million shares on a typical day. It's nearly 4 million shares. So it's weak trading, and it's probably the case for a lot of things. Market cap, that is the price per share times the number of shares outstanding. The price per share times the number of shares outstanding. It represents the market's assessment of the val total value of ownership, equity. So in other words, ownership interest in total, the stock, all of the stock taken together at the current price, market price per share, is $304.6 billion. Now that's a big company. I mean, it's not one of the all-stars. We've got these ones that are above a trillion dollars now, for God's sake, but it is still a big, big company. When you're in the hundreds of billions of dollars, that is what we call a large cap, market cap, large cap company. You've heard me use the term small cap. 
NASDAQ is dominated by small cap companies, low market capitalizations. Home Depot is a beast. It is a ginormous creature. Let me see something here. See, as you can see, it's listed. The first thing here is it's listed on the NYSC. It's a, one of those big companies. New York Stock Exchange is for ginormous companies. And then it's quoted out in the NASDAQ real time. Okay, now, beta. I'm going to ask you about beta. Look here. Is this a relatively risky or relatively safe company? Safe. Yes, good. You've got that down. It's not, it's not hugely safer than the market, but it's actually a little bit safer in a well-diversified portfolio than the market is. Now, P.E. ratio, that's indicated <coughs> it's safe too. In fact, at that P.E. ratio, it, it may be slightly undervalued as far as price per share goes. See that 18, normally we would see price to earnings about maybe 30. And we see that the price is lower than it would have to be to hit 30. So this may be one of those stocks that is undervalued right now. It's certainly giving us a message that this is a relatively safe investment in a well-diversified portfolio. Now, is this a profitable company? Ah. Yeah, hell to the yeah, that was $16.51 a share, that is real profitable, that's, that's a lot. You see that $16.51 a share earnings, that would be the basis for taking the price to earnings ratio. Price to earnings, price per share divided by earnings per share is your price to earnings ratio. So in other words, their earnings are sufficient that the price could be higher and still P.E. would be below 30. Okay, now, oh look, they're, they've got an earnings call next, next week, is it? Or maybe two weeks from now. See that May 16th is when they're going to give their earnings. If you look down here, I can see that they have beat their, beaten their earnings the last three times, and then the last time they were almost dead on to their earnings. So there's probably an expectation that they're going to report earnings as they had predicted they would be. But still, it's up a whole more than a percent right now. Okay, this company pays a dividend. Sure enough. And notice that their dividend is around half of their earnings per share. So their, plow, so their dividend ratio is about 50%. You would take 8.36 divided by the 16.51. So the remainder, 100% minus that, would be their plowback. So in other words, Home Depot gives its shareholders back about half of what it earns for them. And then it keeps the other half about to plow back into operations on behalf of the shareholders to grow the, uh, the stock price of the company. So, and you can see that that's one of the reasons that it's a relatively safe company, is you're not, it, your whole investment isn't just on the stock price rising. You're getting a dividend, so there's, that's, more, that's a safer kind of thing than hoping the stock price will rise. Now, on the exam, I could very well talk about, well, what is the holding period return? Let's say annual holding period return. Well, if I were to say, suppose that Yahoo Finance is correct. In one year, the stock will be at $325.88 per share. So in other words, in one year, I will be able to sell a Home Depot share for $325.88. Now, divided by, what did I pay for it a year earlier? $297.00 and 27 cents. And then I have to subtract one. So, the capital gain part of the annualized return, annual return is 
In other words, making money off the stock price going up, I'll get about 9.62%. Now, the total return for the one year would be if I added what I get for the dividend, which you can see right there, they're kind enough to give us the dividend yield, which is essentially that 836 divided by 297. But they give it to you in the screens. So I would add to that 0 0.0281. Sorry, I stalled out there. My brain kind of went somewhere. Equals. Well, that's pretty decent. A one-year total holding period return is 12.43%. That's how you get an annual holding period return. Yeah, go ahead. Where did you get the point zero two eight one from? That's the dividend yield right here. In other words, the dividend, $8.36, divided by how much I paid for the stock, $297.27. Yeah. It's that's the total holding period return. In this case, it's a one year, so it's a total annual return. And it's of course expected. There's no guarantees in the stock market. <coughs> the total annual return or total holding period. We use the term holding period if you didn't, weren't talking about a year, if it was like three months, five months, whatever, you'd have to just say the holding period return. So that is that we've got, I will ask about this on the, on the final exam. It's not, it's more or less just, you get to the point where you can look at this stuff and say, oh, I see where the numbers are. If you remember at the beginning of the semester, it was just like a block of numbers. And as we've gone on, it looks like more and more of you are catching, oh, I see the individual components and what they mean. And that's important for you if you're going to invest for yourself in the future. Let me go on here now. That was enough of that fun. And now we're going to go to more review for the final exam. Let me pull it up here and show you the final exam. No, I won't do that. That's cruel to even say that. Uh, let me get the final up here. If VeggieNet will give me a, the final. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Make sure you know those definitions, that 100, list of 116. Get it down in your mind. In a lot of cases, you don't really have to memorize it. It's already in your thinking. But I emphasize some of the most important of those terms, things like liquidity and intrinsic value. I harp and bitch about those all the time. What do I mean by that? and uh, other uh, important terminology and what it means. What is the internal rate of return? Well, that's the, play, that's the discount rate that makes net present value zero. Those kinds of, those kinds of terms. Uh, what do I mean by residual claim and prior claim? That's critical from the beginning of the course. I've brought that up in lectures and in quizzes. Make sure you understand who are the common shareholders? Where are they in the order of payouts from, from net profit, from retained earnings? What are the debt holders? Remember that a shareholder and a stockholder are the same thing a debt holder and a bond holder. Those are just two different terms for the same animal. Other terms. Um, 
<coughs> you're going to have a formula sheet. You can take, bring that formula sheet to the final exam, the financial analysis formula, that PDF in your resources. You can have that with you so that you don't have to be able to define uh, from memory. You just got, you just have to know the, uh, where it is on the sheet and what, it's ra what the ratio is and what happens if the denominator goes up as opposed to what happens if the numerator goes up. What drives the ratio itself up and down? Uh, make sure you know, uh, well, also uh, I'll expect you to know the CAPM formula, the Capital Asset Pricing Model formula. In, if you don't know it, get it down on your note card because I, will, I might even ask. Here are, here's a formula. What formula is this? And I might give you the CAP, CAPM or I might, it might be uh, that... Uh, value of a uh, price of a preferred of preferred stock or the re required rate of return for common stock. It'll just be a formula maybe and I'll say which of the following is this formula? So you have to identify what formula it is. So it doesn't hurt to have that somewhere in your note cards. This formula, this formula, this formula. Not so much that you'll, well, you might have to use them for calculation, but you might just have to identify the formula. What is this for? Obviously, basics like the difference between a bill, a note, and a bond. Things like that. Uh, just as a, make sure you know, I'm kind of being around, all around the place, just going through this in a linear fashion, just to catch as many things as I can. I talked about public offerings, IPOs, and exemptions. Make sure you know what a Form 8K is, a Form 10Q, a Form 10K. And how a company becomes a public company, filing what form? Do you remember what form a company, a, a, a company going public? Generally, if it's a big company, what form does it file pursuant to its public offering? Do you remember that? No, but if you hum a few bars, maybe I ever will. Yeah. No, no, that's to create. I'm glad you're bringing that up because I'll have to talk about that. It was Form S1. That's how you go public. You file that with the SEC, and inside of that is the selling document called the prospectus, and that kicks in motion, you're a public company. And then you have to file the Qs and Ks, the 8Ks, and all those other forms after that because you answer to them. Yes? So Form S1 is the one you file? The to become a, a public company, to sell stock. You can't just go out and sell stock unless you file with the SEC or you have a legitimate exemption. Remember, companies that are raising less than a million dollars can sometimes go public without all of the mess of forms. They still have to file things, but it's not as much. But while I'm at it, remember the stages. The articles of how a company becomes a public, how, uh, how, a, how a business becomes a corporation. It becomes a corporation by filing articles of incorporation. And then it is qualified. Is it qualified by the federal government? True or false? You file articles of incorporation with the federal government. False, yes. You file it with your state. You're domestic in your state of uh, filing. You're foreign in all other states. And then the next step, do you remember what you do right after you file the Articles of Incorporation? What comes next? What is it? What is it called? Technic? 
FEIN, the Federal Employer Identification Number. It's like a social security number. The Articles of Incorporation are a birth certificate when they're qualified, and the Articles of and the FEIN is a corporation's version of a social security number, a unique identifier. And then you're on your way. You have to have a board of directors elected by the shareholders, and then the board of directors hires the executive management. I've done this on a couple of quizzes, but I want to emphasize this on the final. I will ask something about it again. How is finance distinguished quantitatively from accounting? What do accountants consider the goal of a company? It's positive profit. What do we in finance consider important? What do you know? Yeah, oh, I love it when you talk dirty like that. Yes, free cash flow. Yeah. And as you can see, I, I've showed you companies that have positive net income, but they are so far down in net cash flow, they're playing handball on the curb. Uh, it's, so in our world, what we care about is the cash at the end of the day. You can be profitable and all that, but if... It, that still doesn't mean that you're a healthy company. But also, as far as costs are concerned, well, uh, costs, remember that even in finance, revenue isn't really as important as revenue minus your receivables. Because, I mean, you can have a lot of revenue, but if you, they didn't pay you yet, you can't buy your Grand Slam breakfast at Denny's. So we care about the uh, revenues that actually came into our pockets uh, at a given time. And that's a double-edged sword because obviously if I extend credit, I'm going to have more people buy my stuff. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that I have more cash in the bank. As a matter of fact, it's going to probably ding my cash flows because a lot of, I found out for my own purposes, when I extended credit, I mean, my actual cash, buy the whole thing on, with cash or a debit card, went to hell. Everyone went to credit. So I had a damn good day, but I went home with hardly enough gas to get there. <coughs> and costs. Remember that sunk costs mean nothing to us in finance. They're everything, as are historical costs in accounting, and we don't care about those. Those are gone, they're over. You can't consider those for future deci for decisions that are uh, future oriented. In our world, what we care about are opportunity costs, replacement costs, and in general, future expected costs. Make sure you know that for the final exam. Opportunity cost. We in finance care about opportunity costs, replacement costs, and generally future expected costs. What has already happened means nothing to us. It's what is going to happen. What we expect to happen is how we're going to react. Oh, just as a formula, uh, I was mentioning formulas. Write down, make sure that it's on somewhere for you, the weighted average cost of capital. What that formula is. Weight of debt times the after-tax cost of debt plus the weight of ex uh, common stock times the uh, cost of common stock plus the weight of preferred times the cost of preferred. Know the, know the difference between discounting and compounding. 
If I'm looking into the future, I am compounding. If I'm pulling the future back to the present, I'm discounting. Well, you know, uh, I don't want to go through all of them, but read that list of that list. Make sure that you have a good grasp of, you can tell the ones that were more fundamental from the, <coughs> from the ones that were more specialized. Make sure that you know those basic concepts, things like capital structure or optimal capital structure, liquidity, uh, the equity is what does equity mean uh, as opposed to debt? Those kinds of terms are crucial for you to know for the exam. Now, I will ask a question about that historical period I talked about from 1960 up until the 1980s, and then I carried it forward past that. But make sure you know what has happened before your time. Because unlike stock prices, which don't where history doesn't matter, the ghosts of the past haunt us in political economics, as they are right now. What is this? What formula is associated with the securities market line? Do you know that? What formula is associated with the securities market line? <laughs> Long weekend ahead, right? Okay, it's the uh, Cap M, capital asset pricing model, graphs as the securities market line. <coughs> Yeah, the capital asset pricing model graphs, and the graph is called the securities market line. The last couple of lectures, make sure that you know the basics of the Federal Reserve System. Its structure, what are their tools, what are their duties, and what are the tools of monetary policy. I won't get into some complicated thing about open market operations. If you take me for an economics class, then you will, macro. But for this, just know what are the jobs the Fed has. One of them is that it regulates and supervises. Okay, who regulates, who supervises? I almost always ask a question like that. Also, the Board of Governors, how many are there? Is the chairman counted as one of them, or is the chairman an extra one? The FOMC. Uh, now that was, regulates and supervises, and the second job it has, it serves as a bank for banks, and the, fourth and the third job it has is conducts monetary policy. I see that uh, probably about 40 of you have looked at that video so far, so if you haven't seen that video in plain English in the resources tab, that's a great little summary of the Fed. There, yeah. Three jobs. The first one is regulates and supervises the banking system. But be sure you know that they do not regulate and supervise all banks. There are other regulators that do some of them. The second one is they serve as a bank for banks. And the third is that they conduct monetary policy. They, uh, policy. Those are their three jobs. They conduct monetary policy. Now as far as conducting monetary policy, they have three different ways. The least used is setting the required reserve ratio. The second 
most of the second is they set the discount rate. Now watch it. If I say the Federal Reserve sets the federal funds rate, that's false. They set a target, but they don't, and they can manipulate the federal funds rate, but they can't set it. That's an open market. That's done by the market, supply and demand of bank funds. Now the most commonly used is, are the open market operations. Now, by the way, the, I was talking about the Fed is having a, uh, its meeting today. At that meeting, the, what the first thing they'll do is they'll announce, did we raise the discount rate? Also at that meeting, they will set a new target for the federal funds rate. The one you don't hear anything about is, if they're raising the discount rate, and they're targeting the federal funds rate at a higher level, then you better believe that they're going to be doing open market operations, draining liquidity. In other words, pulling money out of the economy to cause the price of money, interest rates, to go up. So in real time, what I've talked about in sort of an abstract way in this class is happening today. And its impact will be felt. I hope, uh, I hope not terribly, though. Now, the other lecture on ethics. I will key on the agency problem, agency costs, and fiduciary duty. I have a PowerPoint that pretty much goes clear through my lecture on agency. Make sure you understand. And, and make sure you know what fiduciary duty means and what the three pillars of fiduciary duty are. I said it in class, wrote it on the board, it's also in the PowerPoint. Like I said, you got a long weekend ahead of you. <laughs> a lot of studying to do. Okay, now let me move on to the numerical part. Well, first, I, I, let, let me repeat what I said on Monday. The test is a, approximately 60 questions. Now I say approximately because there's a multiple choice part that counts as one question, but it's multiple, multiple answers within the one question. The, you are allowed two note cards, front and back. You're allowed your formula sheet. A calculator or the virtual, a physical or a virtual calculator is permitted. And for God's sake, know Excel well enough. I have given you templates. You can actually just key in a few numbers and there's your answer for some of the numerical questions. Get those templates where you can put your hands on them quickly because you can use Excel on my exam to get answers. You don't even have to memorize a darn formula. But that should help. Okay, now, what else, is there anything else about that? Oh yeah, it's two hours. Uh, that's about it uh, for, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, in here, yeah, two hours. Ours in this class is 220 to 420, is that right, on Monday? Yeah, 220 to 420. It's kind of later in the afternoon. Get your nap before the test so you don't start fuzzing out like I do at that time of day. Uh, and make sure you have your full computer charged up so that you don't run out of battery and then get fussy. Uh, it was bad like even three, four years ago because most laptops didn't have battery power for more than an hour or so. And so people were fading out at exams, so it's a little better now. Okay, let me get to the numerical part. Okay. You will have, you will have, find a present value and find a future value problem. Remember that future values would be used uh, starting today. You're going to put money into the bank. Present values are those ones where you're bringing a, some kind of cash flow back to the present. That'll be two. Two more. 
I'll have you find a net present value and I'll have you find an internal rate of return. That's four total now. And these are all calculator kinds of things. Suddenly, I, I'm drawing a blank about something. <laughs> Give me a second. Oh, I will have you find a, mortgage, uh, a payment on a loan, a mortgage or a car, and I'll have you find an effective rate. That's six. I'll have you find a payment on a loan and an effective rate. That's a total of six numericals. Yeah. So on the calculator, can we either choose like begin or end? So end is beginning. Begin. If you're finding a future value, begin. If you're finding a present value, which is you, by the way, for loan payments, it's end, and for a lot of others, bond prices and all that, it's end. The begin is pretty unusual. It would only be for annuities where you want to find out what a future value is of money being put in periodically. So the begin would be an, an unusual one. Be careful. If you're doing one, make sure if you set the begin, don't forget to turn it back to end for the most of the other ones. That's six. Okay, I'll have you find a bond price and a bond yield. You've seen all these before. That's eight. Yeah. Say that. Virtually copied. I mean, you can't. I, I mean, you can't get too fancy with these kinds of questions. So being a lazy son of a bitch like I am, I'll just copy it and change the numbers. Because that's the goal. Can you see this problem and do it? Go. Future value is starting today. Yeah, if you, if you see a problem starting today, you're going to put $100 into the bank every month for the next 20 years. Then it'd be 20 years times 12 times a month, so it'd be 240 periods. And you just get your FV from it. 100 for the PMT, 0 for the present value because there's no kicker, and then your interest rate, your discount rate, or whatever it is, your savings rate, and alpha solve on the FV. That's, that's what you use to get. That's when you put that, toggle that to begin. And then once you've done that problem, go back down and change it back to end because everything else would be end. Okay, where the hell? Oh, okay. <coughs> now, as far as cost of capital goes, I'll give you one problem. I'll give you a problem where you have to find a horizon, that one where there's a horizon value at like year four, and then you find the present value of the horizon value and the dividends up to that horizon. I'll give you one of those. It's a total of nine. Yes? No, I can't. Oh, yeah. Uh, remember those. Ouch. Oh, God. Oh, shut up. Oh, man. Here comes, here comes the tingle. You have a $1.25 dividend in year one. A one dollar and a one dollar dividend in year two, a one dollar and fifty cent dividend in year three, and then you have a let's say a one dollar and forty cent dividend at year four, and thereafter the dividend grows at let's say two point seven five percent from there then what you would do is you would have your horizon value and let's say you have a discount rate 
of the let's say the weighted average cost of capital is let's say eight point five zero percent, your horizon value would be the one dollar and forty cents grown one period times one plus point zero two seven five divided by the point zero eight five minus the point zero two seven five and that would give you your horizon value from there you would say, I'll calculate the horizon value on its own. A dollar forty times one point zero two seven five. That'll give you the dividend one period for farther further out. Farther out two seven five divided by point zero eight five zero minus the growth rate. Wait, I screwed up there. Did you see that? Divided by, huh, I missed two keystrokes there. Insert a parenthesis, point, okay, now I'm good. Minus the point zero two seven five, close the parenthesis. And so, the stock value price is $25.02, the horizon value. And then, from there, unless you want to take the present value of those four dividends manually, the fastest way to do it is just simply take apps, finance, and go down to NPV. We're not using it for what it's supposed to be used for, but it works. We'll take the discount rate 8.50%, comma. For this problem, you put a zero in for the initial capital expenditure because we're just trying to find what the price of the stock is now. Comma, open brace, and then it begins to count years. A dollar twenty-five in year one, comma, a dollar in year two, comma, a dollar fifty in year three, comma, a dollar forty in year four, plus your horizon value twenty-five point oh two. And then you say I've finished counting years with you counting years, so you do second close the brace, close the parentheses, it started the whole mess. And there's your answer, $22.34. And I'll give you a window, maybe, get any, give any answer between $22 and $22.50, full credit. I'll let you get that written down. Save your bacon. Do it the way I'm doing it here. Heck, you could even put in that horizon value formula right here if you wanted to. The yeah. Price of stock. Well, yeah, the, the intrinsic price of the stock. Current intrinsic price of the stock. <coughs> like I said, if, you, uh, if you're really feeling butch, you could actually just run the horizon value formula, do the $1.40 plus that D0 times 1 plus G divided. The reason I don't do it here is, yeah, I get more rounding error doing it the way I'm doing it right now, but you're asking for trouble the way I, as bad as I am at putting in complicated formulas, you might not want to do it that way. Just find the horizon value first. So this whole thing is to find the intrinsic value. Yeah, go. 
That's the growth rate. You see, the stock is going up and down in how much is, uh, rather, the dividend is going up and down. But there's a point where the dividend stabilizes to a constant growth rate. That's what that represents. In, in year four, they pay a $1.40 dividend and they announce we're going to try to keep the dividend growing at 2.75% after this for the foreseeable future. That's what that represents. So you'll see, and it will grow at a constant rate of. That's the wording that I always use. And that tells you that the G in the formula is that number that comes after the of. <coughs> oh, God. Oh, wait. Oh. Jack Daniels really does kill a sore throat. Kills a lot of brain cells, too. That's why I'm getting dementia, probably. But anyway, no. It's just coffee. Coffee. Uh, okay, here we go. Okay, now, that's nine. Now, I'm going to... Component cost of capital. I'm not going to make it difficult, but it will be one like, okay. Uh, I'm not going to do the components themselves. I'm going to give you, like I did on that quiz, I'm going to give you the individual costs, the cost of debt. Be careful because I'll give you a coupon and I'll give you a yield to maturity and a tax rate. Use the yield to maturity and don't forget to take away, the, to do the one minus taxes on it. And I'll give you the, excuse me, oh God, I'll give you the um, cost of common stock and the cost of preferred stock. I'll give them to you. And I'll give you the market values of each of the components. And all you have to do is go to that spreadsheet where I do the sum product, weight time, the weight of each times the uh, cost of each. And you'll get me a weighted average cost of capital. You'll get me a whack. Okay? It w there, I even have a spreadsheet for you. You just put in the cost components. You put in the market value of each component. And then you can get the whack that fast. Yeah. I mean, if you do it manually, it's going to take you quite a while. But if you put it in, just key the numbers into the Excel spreadsheet, it spits out very nicely, very quickly. Give me a, bear with me. NPV, but I'm making sure. Monthly payments. Okay. Yield and price of a bond. Give me a second here, Walt. Um. Yeah. Oh. Free cash flow. I will, that's where the other couple questions. Free cash flow. Now, I won't have you crank out a whole damn free cash flow using financial statements. But I may have you calculate the change in net operating working capital. In other words, I'll give you the current assets and current liabilities for the most recent year and the current assets and the current liabilities for the year previous. And what you will do is find the change in net operating working capital. Remember, the change in net operating working capital is net operating working capital this year minus net operating working capital last year. 
How do you find net operating working capitals? Current assets minus current liabilities. Show me that you can do it. Yeah, that's always the one that trips everyone up the most. And it's actually surprisingly dramatic, its effect on free cash flow. That's the 11th problem. I think that's 11, and there's one more. Let me look through here, figure out if there are 11 or there are 12. I there might be kind of scattered. If there is another one, it's going to be something that was I've already mentioned. Yeah, because I've covered the objectives, the quantitative objectives. Yeah, I've got it. Okay, now it's your turn. Ask me questions. Yeah. I was looking on the uh, the terms list, and there was one on here. Still or kill? Okay. Remember when I was talking about buying and selling stocks? I decide that I am going to put in. Okay. Well, let me do this. Buy one round lot. I give up my broker. Buy one round lot of HD at 20, uh, 297, fill or kill. In other words, if the broker can get it at that time at $297, then do so. If they can't find it at that time, kill it. The order's dead. I could do a, G, uh, a GFD, good for the day. Just hold on. If you can find it for the rest of the trading period, trading day, buy it. But then after that, it dies at the end of the day. Typically, if you're using something like Thinkorswim's plat Thinkorswim platform or a lot of them, they are good for day orders. And then there's GTCs, good till canceled. You just leave it open and until I uh, there there will be an expiration on it somewhere. But just leave it open until the price gets to where I told you, okay? That's a fill or kill. The fill or kill is one, buy it at this price. If you can't find it, kill the order. Right there, yes. Bourse. Bourse is uh, the fancy term. Uh, Europeans don't call them exchanges, they call them bourses. On the Swiss bourse, uh, here we call them exchanges. You got any more of the, any others of those terms right off the top of your head that you don't see? Okay. Fundamental analysis involves looking at the underlying factors that are affecting a company. Its ability to generate revenue. Its competitive environment. What kinds of projects it is uh, undertaking now. Are they prospective projects? Uh, how, what does the management look like? How are they doing? What's their, what kind of management uh, do we want versus what do we need? It's, it uses numbers, but technical analysis is where you're doing all of these charts and things like Darvis boxes, MACDs, Japanese candlesticks, stochastics, and all those uh, things that have no use whatsoever. But we had a, a, were any of you at the... Uh, finance uh, guest speaker last night. He was a former student of mine. He's now a senior specialist in trading at TD Ameritrade Schwab. My God, there was a student there who was absolutely obsessed with trying to show that he was awesome because he could do technical analysis. And God, that was embarrassing, especially because he was a marketing major. <laughs> but. Anyway, yeah. What else? Yeah. Just to clarify, ask prices how much you would buy a stock and big prices how much you would sell it. Yes. So, in other words, right here, right now, if I were to type in, God, I shouldn't do this, but I'm just, I'm curious myself. 
Tesla. Oh, they're up a little bit. Okay, now I see here that... <coughs> Wait, what? Oh, the bid, I, would, I could sell my Tesla stock for $164.13 a share. But if I wanted to buy some, I'd pay $164.36 a share. Okay, I'll be in my office tomorrow from about 11 until 2. And then I'll have some off-stars on Friday. That's all I have for you today. I thank you. One last time.